This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning, everybody. I love that song. It's a perfect song. Well, we are in a sermon series called Sticky Faith. How do we build faith that sticks in our life, faith that's exuberant, that lasts in our life? And it's inspired by a book called Sticky Faith, and the book recommends five main ideas for us to build faith that sticks in our lives. Uh, We looked at the sticky gospel, building that. Uh, Last week, we looked at the importance of intentionally developing uh, sticky faith conversations into our life. Um, Next week is going to be a very special service on sticky justice, and you don't want to miss that. And then we'll end with looking at the importance of developing a sticky web of relationships around us. But today, we're going to look at this idea of developing sticky identity, sticky identity. A great way to develop sticky faith is by developing a sticky identity. So today we're going to once again look at the baptism of Jesus because baptism is fundamentally about our identity. It's about who we are. And I cannot think of a more important message than this one today. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this. Heavenly Father, fill us Thank you for being here. Fill us, we pray, with your presence, with your Holy Spirit. Help us become aware that you're with us. And as we look at baptism, I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us. I pray that heaven would open up, you would show up. And I pray that we would hear your voice speak to each one of us here We didn't come by accident. We didn't come just to support our mothers today. We we are here to hear from you, and may you speak to us. May we hear your voice about who we are. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Mark chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus. Let's take a look at this as it relates to our identity and building that sticky identity. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he had come up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens torn apart. So God is showing up in this moment in a special way. And the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then only two times in the Synoptic Gospels does God the Father audibly speak. Isn't that amazing? Only two times. Once here and once at the transfiguration, which means that this moment is a high moment. This is a God-breaking-in moment, and we really need to focus in on what God is about to say at his baptism. So in a voice came from heaven, and this is what it said. Would you say it with me? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Wow. That's the voice of God the Father. And do you know what happens immediately after his baptism? He's tempted in the wilderness. That's the first thing that happens after God says who he is, speaks his identity. 
And these temptations that we're going to take a look at in Matthew help us understand why baptism is primarily about our identity. So, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. The devil's the opponent of God. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, Now wonder what he's going to tempt Jesus with. What do you think he's going to tempt him with? Food on the surface, but, but let's look at what's really happening here. This is what he says. If you are the what? Command these stones to become loaves of bread. And, he ans- and Jesus answers with Deuteronomy, It is written, A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, that's the first temptation. The second temptation, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And what's he going to tempt him with this time? And he says, If, if, this is the temptation, if you are the what? Well, then throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, right? If God says it in his word, he's going to do it. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, quoting God's word, God's word in Deuteronomy, um, right after the Shema, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to your test. Well, those are the temptations. And here he comes again. And then the devil, again, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said, all these things, everything I will give you if you forget who you are, if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And then again, he's going to quote from the Shema, you shall worship the Lord your God And him only shall you serve. Worship God alone. So he quotes the word of God to the opponent. Then, of course, the devil left him. And behold, angels were there ministering to him. So do you see what's happening here? In the baptism of Jesus, God speaks. The voice of God says, you are my beloved son. And in the temptation of Jesus, which happens immediately after, the devil tempts Jesus to doubt his identity. To doubt his identity as God's beloved son. Notice, if you are the son, that's what God says. He says, you're a son. Are you really? If you really are, once. Not just once. If you really are, twice. And you forget, once you forget who you are, then, you know, you can worship God something other than God, your father. So, ba- so you, you see, baptism here is fundamentally about our identity. Baptism answers the question, who am I? Who am I? And we, we get, when we get baptized, God speaks to us about our identity, and God says, what God says is, we are his beloved We are his beloved. And that is the identity that we want to stick. We want that identity to be sticky, to never leave us. The fundamental question we need to answer in this life is the question, who are we? 
Who are we? And the answer to that question will make all the difference. Who are we? In baptism, God answers the question. You are my beloved. That's who you are. You're my beloved. But isn't it true that we often live with different answers to that question? The five most common answers to the question of who I am are I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what other people say, I am what I think, and I am what I feel. So I want to take a look at these with you. So first, the first common answer is to, to the question of who I am is I am what I do. And so isn't it true that when we do good things, we feel good about ourselves, we f- we're successful, But what happens when we do bad things or we don't do good things? We feel like what? Most people introduce themselves by what they do. Isn't this true? By their work. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Hi, I'm a teacher. Hi, I'm a counselor. I'm a business. I am a, I mean, we do it all the time with one. That's how we talk and introduce ourselves. Well, what happens if we're unemployed? Or what happens when I'm not a pastor? What happens when I'm not? If my identity, if the core of my identity is in my work or what I do, that's not a strong enough identity. When students do well with their tests and their grades, they feel successful. But as soon as their grades fall or they don't do well, they can feel like a failure. Not only that, when, our, when we get older, our bodies literally fail us and we can't do what we used to be able to do. And when you, can't, when you lose your ability to do, you then look, either look back at all the things you used to be able to do or you feel sad and depressed about what you can't do. Doing, building our identity around what we can do, whether work or what we can physically do, is not a strong enough identity to last to make a difference. The second answer, common answer to the question is that I am what I have. And it's great when we have what we want, but does everybody have what you want? Everything you want? Show of hands. One person has, yeah, okay, a few, a couple of you. I like you. Okay, let's talk after the church, after service. I love that answer. But if we lose something we have, like a a person in our life, if we lose our health, which believe me, that can happen if, if we lose the things that we have or if we can't get what we want, then we can feel depressed. Isn't that true? I mean, there's the whole hedonic treadmill theory. Have you heard about that? That basically you can get whatever you want, but as soon as you get what you want, you're going to go right back down again. You know, oh, I, get, I want that car. I get it. Ooh, you go right back down. That's what the theory says. Uh, but I, uh, you get that car and you go back down. Oh, I want oh, a little bit of better car. And then you go back down. I want this and I want this and I want this. It never, ever, ever satisfies. It's not, it, it's not a strong enough answer to the identity question. The third, third most common is I am what other people say about me. And we can all fall into this answer at times. Our identity can be shaped by what other people say about us. So if people speak well about us, we feel pretty good. If they speak bad about us, if they're talking behind our backs, saying negative things, it can be depressing. You can feel low. 
You know, it's easy to fall into this trap as a preacher because, you know, you know, one week it's like, oh, you, you that was a great sermon. And then the next, pe- next week, you know, better luck next time. Um, you know, it's like if my identity is wrapped around how well I do or what other people say about it, it's just up and down and up and down. Um, it's true. We can self-identify with what other people say. And we do it all the time. If a parent says words of harm to their kid, if a friend, a close friend says a word of harm, it can have a devastating impact for their whole life. If they make that word true, if they form a, that that word as their core identity. So unless they form a new answer to their identity, they can just go up and down. I mean, isn't it true when someone sees you in the morning or during the day, better yet, and they say, you look, you look tired. (laughs) You know, that happens all the time. I mean, I honestly hear that a lot. I hope I don't, I don't feel tired, but like, you look, you look tired. You look tired. Am I tired? Maybe I am tired. Am I getting enough sleep? What time is it? Um, and, and it can change the course of your day, despite what someone says. That's why the power of our words, we are to, we, God commands us to use them in, in, the, in the force of encouragement and lifting one another up. I mean, these are such powerful uh, words are so powerful, but they are not strong enough to form our identity around. Or another, the fourth common answer to the question of who I am is I am what I think about me. So many people think negative thoughts about ourselves. Any of you out there at times, we do. And those negative thoughts can form our identity. Like if we think I'm unlovable, well, then we live out of that, for, that identity. This happens all the time. Or if we think something's wrong with me, then we live out of that identity of what we think. Or the fifth common answer is that I am what I feel. Like if I feel happy, that, that's who, how I am. But if you feel sad, that's who you are. You're feeling good. You're feeling bad. It, these are feelings. The problem with our thoughts and with our feelings is they're not solid enough to form our identity around. Because thoughts and our feelings are like clouds. They come and they go. Sometimes they stay at stick around for a little while. Sometimes they're dark. Sometimes they're thin. Sometimes they're light. Sometimes they're heavy. But they come and they go. They're not strong enough to form our identity around. A lot of our time and energy is spent living out of these answers. I am what I do. I am this. I am what I have or what other people say. I am what I think about myself or this negative thought or I am what I feel about myself. And if we base our identity on any of those answers, our life, anyone play, ever do a yo-yo? That's what our life's like, you know? Uh, you feel good, up. I feel, you fail, you're down. You have what you want, up. You don't get it, you're down. You, some people say something nice, you're up. They don't, you're down. Um, we think a good thought, we're up. We think a negative thought, we're down. We think, feel good one day, we're up. We feel bad the next day, we're down. Up and down. And Jesus speaks into that. 
And he, sa- and he, sa- he teaches us that all of those answers to the question of who I am are not strong enough to form our identity around. Because when the devil, if you think about the text, when the devil tempted Jesus with what he could do, turn stones to bread, he resisted that temptation. When the devil tempted him with what he, what he could have, all the kingdoms, or, the, or what people could say about him, all the glory of all the nations, Jesus resisted that temptation because Jesus knew his identity. Before he was tempted in the wilderness, the Spirit came upon him in a special way at his baptism. And God says, you are my beloved son. That Jesus knew who he was. He was who his heavenly father said he was. You're my beloved son. So Jesus did not live the life of an emotional yo-yo because when people praised him, Hosanna, Hosanna, be the king of kings. He knew he was God's beloved son. And and then the same day when they cursed him and said crucify him, he knew he was God's beloved son. When they rejected him, he knew he was God's beloved. When they accepted him, he knew he was God's beloved. Jesus held on to what God said about who he was at his baptism. I don't know if you notice, I have a little thing of water, and before I preach, I just lift it in there and just remember my baptism. Why? Because I am God's beloved, and I want to remember that as I come. And you are God's beloved, and I want to remember that as I come and speak to God's beloved. You are my beloved son. Jesus held on to that. And it allowed him and it allows us today to live in a world where we can experience the highs of doing well and praise and we can experience the lows of rejection without losing our core identity. A beloved son and a beloved daughter. That's who you are. Friends, if there's one thing I want you to hear this morning, it's this. When you're in Christ, what is said of Jesus at his baptism is said of you. You are God's beloved. You're God's beloved. How does that feel? So how do we apply this core identity to our lives? The Sticky Faith book says a great way to develop a sticky identity as a beloved child of God is by creating intentional rituals or traditions in our lives. Now, when I say ritual, I don't mean like smoke and chanting and all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about traditions, things that are intentionally built into our lives. And so I want to suggest three Traditions are three ways that we can intentionally build that identity as God's beloved child into our lives. One through birthdays, baptisms, and bedtimes. Can you say that with me? Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtimes. One way to help develop a sticky identity that we're God's beloved child is by celebrating birthdays. Anyone celebrate birthdays here? 
Woohoo. There's even a woohoo out there. It's, so give, give someone, give the person whose birthday a day to be celebrated. What only happens once a year uh, to pour in to use that birthday as a marker to remember their belovedness. In my family, my boys get to plan their birthdays. My 10-year-old Zephyr is a planner. I mean, in a big way. I may have told you this already, but he plans his birthday well in advance. So we get, o- we get over Christmas. And I'm ki- I kid you not. The day after Christmas, he's like, let's plan my birthday. And I'm like, when's your birthday? May 25th. Okay, that's like five months from now. And I kid you not, we get out my Google calendar and to the every 15 minutes, he details when he's going to get up, who's going to wake him up, what he's going to eat in the morning. They get to choose whatever they want to eat. They want to eat Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the morning. They can get Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And so they get to choose their, their, uh, their food. They get to choose the, what they want to eat for dinner. They have special friends. They get to choose one special activity. They get to choose these things. And then at night when we, have, when we eat the dinner, they eat it on a, you are special plate. They, all, they do not ever eat on this plate outside of their birthday. This is the special, you are special birthday plate. They only get it on that birthday. And then they are baked a very, very special cake that we only bake, bake, bake on birthdays. And they also get to wear these special birthday glasses when they eat the birthday cake. They feel good. And as they grow into their teen years, they love wearing these glasses. Let me tell you. <laughs> and um, one, one idea is to bless them and to pray for them at dinner. And have everyone go around the room and intentionally say why they're beloved. I want to just give you an example of this. If anyone's birthday is in May, the month of May, would you please stand? Please stand. If you've got a birthday in May, I see you. I see you. Okay. And if you're there, you can maybe extend a hand. Say their name. If you know their name, please stay standing. I'm sorry I'm embarrassing you. I'm going to do it anyway. So just stay standing. Maybe you can... uh, you know, put a hand on them or just, you know, just extend a hand of blessing. And so, you know, so after dinner, we have dinner. So this is something that, that you could say. So, so let's just pray for them. Lord God, thank you for these, all these men and women who are, we are celebrating their birth. Lord, we thank you that you, they were your idea before their parents. And that we thank you for knitting them together in their mother's womb. We thank you, Lord, that you have a wonderful purpose and an even more glorious future for them. Lord, they are a blessing in our lives. They bless us in particular ways. And if you're near them, you could even shout out a word of blessing if you want. And we thank you for these things. We thank you for the special role that they play in our lives in this church family's life. And we need them, Lord. We love them. And most, most importantly, Lord, that they are your beloved They are your beloved. And so we bless them on their birthday and we celebrate their life. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So that's an example of having a birthday, of, of, of using the tradition of a birthday to anchor in their identity. That they are beloved. There is nothing that they can do to separate from God's love and to to do that once a year that's that's just one example from the book 
Another example to help us make a sticky identity is to celebrate baptisms or dedications, these kinds of things. So during your baptism or your dedication, we encourage you to take pictures. We encourage you to select a baptism verse. And so what we did with my three boys is we took a picture, we have their baptism verse, and we have the date that they were baptized, and we framed it, and we put it on the wall next to their bed. And so, so at night, when, you know, when we tuck them in, we could see their baptism verse, and, you know, regularly, we would quote their baptism verse to them. And, and, and so once a year, um, put it in your calendar to remember your baptism day. Um, if you don't remember what it was, you can just select the day and call it your baptism day, a day to remember your baptism and to celebrate it. And so on that day, they get to choose whatever dinner they want. They get to choose whatever dessert they want. And then we take a little water and we just put it on their head in the sign of the cross and say, you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? See, the beauty of being able to do this is no kid or no person, doesn't, this, could, this could apply to adults, anyone, my baptism, no one's going to say, you know, I really don't want to be celebrated today. You know, I don't want to choose my favorite food or have my absolutely favorite dessert today. Like, no one does that, that I'm aware of, you know. Um, you always learn new things, but... But it's an opportunity for, for to make that tangible marker as a reminder. It's just a reminder. You're not rebaptizing them. You're just reminding them of their baptism or of their dedication. And it, and, allow, and it gives you once a year an opportunity to say, what does this mean? What does it mean? It means you are God's beloved. You are God. You are not what people say about you. You're not that negative thought you feel about yourself. You are are God's beloved. I'm telling you, this makes a difference. And then the last uh, idea that I have, that the book has, is in terms of helping us develop a sticky identity as a beloved child, is bedtimes. Bedtimes. A bedtime ritual is one way we can affirm, especially our kids' identity as beloved on a regular basis. So if baptisms and birthdays are once a year, this is a way you get to do it on a day in, day out. So a, if a parent, um, a parent can bless their child at night, um, it changes for me. I, we bless him. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I bless you. I might say the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Um, you can bless, this can apply to a spouse. You can bless your spouse. To pray, you can pray for them. So we do that. We, every night we pray for, I'm almost every single night, we pray and for our kids. And, we, and I thank God. I thank God, that, thank you God that I get to know my, this boy and I get to love him. And by the way, if your kids don't want you to do that when they get older, don't. Um, only if it works. Only if it works. There are other ways. You can still bless and pray for your kids if they don't want it. 
You just do it. You do it on your own. You bless them and pray for them on your own. But I'll tell you what, even if they don't want you to do it in person, they they will find out at one point that you do it every night. I know my, my parents pray for me every single day. I know that. And that means a lot to me. That roots my identity, not only in my belovedness with the Lord, but my belovedness in my family as well. You know, when our kids were little, we would regularly ask them three questions. And these were identity-shaping questions it, uh, around their belovedness. We, we would say, and these were when they were little. They don't like doing this anymore, believe me. But, you know, who loves you? You do. Why, do. why do we love you? Because I'm me. What, you know, we did it so often. They're like, oh, I know the answer. It's because I'm me. What does that mean? You're going to love me no matter what. You know, even if you do something we don't want you to do, yes, you're going to love me no matter what. You know, we will do a thousand things wrong as parents. But if we can help our kids know they are unconditionally loved. It may be just enough to cover over a multitude of parenting mistakes. So, you know, you might be asking, how do we make this idea sticky? Come on, Phil. How do we, how do we make this idea of rooting our identity as God's beloved sticky? Well, how about a rap song? Okay, you're going to have to help me. Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtimes. Ready? Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtimes. Everybody? Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtimes. A little bit louder. Birthdays, baptism, bedtime. All right. Celebrate birthdays. They only come once a year. You eat some yummy cake and then it disappears. Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtime. I want you to keep saying that. Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtime. All right. Celebrate baptisms. We remember the sign. We anoint them with water and we have a good time. Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtime. All right. Celebrate bedtime. We bless them every night. We tuck them into bed and we turn off all the lights. Birthdays, baptisms, and bedtime. One more time. One more time. Birthdays, baptisms. Okay. We practiced so hard on that song. Yeah, no practice. That was spontaneous, by the way. So no judgments out there. But I get, I'm going to ask you next time, what are three ideas? I have a feeling you're going to remember them. Okay, and you're to close... In your, the back of your seats are sticky notes. If you could grab a sticky note or a piece of paper, I'm going to close this way. I want you to write something down on these sticky notes.
Here's what I want you to write, because this is what I want us to remember. Write this. I am God's beloved child. You can write son or daughter if you want. I am God's beloved. I'm God's beloved. I want you to take that home, put it on your mirror, and just think about that this week. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we did ask that this, your spirit would descend upon us, that heaven would be torn open in front of us, and that we would hear your voice, that your voice about us, not what we do, what we have, what others say, what we think or feel, but what you say, and you call us your beloved. And I pray, Lord, that you would root that identity down so deep it becomes unshakable in each and every person here today. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunset Church is a house of prayer for all nations. If any of you need prayer after the service, I'd like to call elders or prayer ministers forward. We'd love to pray for you. Next week, we'll be looking at sticky justice. It's going to be a great service. So receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May he smile upon you. Smile upon you as a beloved child and give you peace. And all God's people said,